July 19th, 2022, we're in Masechet Sanhedrin, if you count from the bottom, it's nine lines up, the third word on the line. If you recall, the Gemara is in the context of talking about not only Chizkiah, the king of Yehuda, but as well, Sanheriv, the king of Ashur, who did uh, terrible things to us. He exiled ten of our nations, ultimately speaking, he was destroyed, but... We have plenty to say about his methods and, in turn, his aftermath. Why was it, excuse me, in the middle of the sentence, Why was it that Otorasha, Sanheriv, who was quite a wicked and evil person with regards to what he did and who he was, why does the Pasuk nonetheless refer to him as Asnapar, his name, one of his eight names, the Gemara told us, but he's Rabavi Akira, he's the great and dignified and glorified one. Mipene answers the Gemara, because although he had the opportunity to do so, he didn't speak badly about Eretz Yisrael. He describes to them what his plan is to do through his messenger, Rav Shakeh. He says to them, what we're going to do is we're going to take you and bring you the ten, nation, the ten uh, tribes, and in turn afterwards, uh, Shevet Yehuda, to a Eretz, to a land like your land. Now he can say we're taking you to a greater land than your land. He had the opportunity to speak up the place where they're going to from Eretz Israel. Keep in mind that was the method of Sanhariv. The other day Eli told me of many others over the course of history. In order to conquer a nation, you need not destroy them physically, you can just exile them. Once you've exiled them, taken them to another place, they've lost their sense of nationality, they've lost their sense of individuality, and now they're lost, and as a result you kind of have them as virtual slaves. So what he says to them is, I'm going to displace you, but don't worry, it's going to be a land just like the land you're in. Instead of speaking down about it, he's saying, I'm bringing you to a great land, look at this terrible land you're in. Or there's greater lands than it, he doesn't speak in such a way, and so to speak, the Navi, as a result, praises him. He's not just a person, he's a rabbi akira because he's able to speak appropriately even in context about Eretz Yisrael. Says the Gemara, but not so fast. It's a mahloka between Rav and Shemuel about whether what he said then was tactful or not. Rav Shemuel hadaman melech pikeahaya hadaman melech tipeshaya. Says the Gemara, there's a mahloka between the two, uh, Rav and Shemuel, about whether Sanheriv, Melech Ashur, should be considered a pikeach, meaning smart, has an open mind with regards to understanding things, or is it tipesh, he's silly and he's wrong in his doing. Explains the Gemara, they're questioning this act, the fact that he describes Eris Yisrael as identical to the land he's taking them to. If you're to argue that he was smart and in saying so, this was wisdom, this was his wise side. If he were to say to them, This land that I'm bringing you to is greater than your land. They would say to him, to Sanherif, you're lying to us. In other words, if he were to speak other than he, the way he did, to say to them, I'm taking you to a greater land than Eretz Yisrael, imagine you're in the land of God, the land that was prom- promised to your forefathers. And now I'm telling you, but I have a better land than that. You say to me, you're lying to me. That's, as a result, he's pikeach. It's not so much that he was righteous, 
It's not certainly that he was uh, stupid. He's quite smart. He understands that if he speaks about the land, even if it's so in his mind, it's better than Eretz Yisrael, they won't listen to him. Alternatively, if you were to say that he's a silly, stupid king with this act and this line, Imken says the Gemara, if that were so, um, well, Mayribute, Ribute means like, what's the Hidush? In other words, he could have and should have said to them, listen, gentlemen and women, I'm taking you to a better place. It's that terrible line we heard, you know, that the Nazis said to many of the Jews, we're relocating you to better locations. Whether they believed it or not, the claim is a decent claim. As I said to you, I'm taking you to an identical house in the town over you. So why are you doing that to me? In other words, if he wanted to be smart about this, according to this other opinion, he should have said to them, I'm bringing you to a better land. The fact that he didn't say so shows that he's not so smart, at the very least, with this claim, with this suggestion. Okay, two ways of understanding his claim in that context, but the line right beforehand in the Gemara, interestingly, says, irrespective of whether he's smart or stupid, he's, he's praised for this. He's the Rabbi Akira because ultimately speaking, he didn't speak down about Eretz Yisrael. So as the Gemara Lehecha Aglelehu, where did those ten tribes, the ten Shivatim, and the plan for Yehuda as well, where'd they go to? Where was that Galut? Well, we know where it was from, from Eretz Yisrael. Where were they headed? Morzutra Amar Afriki. First opinion, Morzutra says to Africa. Virbihanina Amar Lehare Saluk. To another place, the mountains of Salud. Aval, says the Gemara, Yisrael, Siperu Bignuta, Sheleris Yisrael. In stark contrast, in terrible stark contrast to Sanheriv, who in context doesn't speak down against Eris Yisrael, Am Yisrael, in the Derashah of the rabbis in the ensuing lines, they speak against Eris Yisrael. Here they are being exiled by Sanheriv. And as they go out, well, the Pesukim describe the places they go to. Less about what they say, but more about the places. And as a result, the rabbis pay careful attention to their description or the Pasuk's description of the places. The first place, or one of the first places, Kimatu Sos. They came to a place called Sos. Amre, they were saying, Shavya Kiar'in. They said it's tantamount. It's Shave, it's worth, its value is like our land. You're just out of your land. We're traveling you, we're moving you out. And he stopped at a place called Sos. Uh, Maharsha suggests it's like Mesos, uh, the Pasuk describes the Beit HaMikdash, or Yerushalayim as Mesos, uh, so Sos is, uh, they're already describing it as just like our sanctified best places. Kimatu Almin, then they came to another place the Pesukim described called Almin. Amru, they said it was Ke'almin. Rashi quotes the Gemara in Masechet Zevachim, which suggests that Almin, or Beit Olamim, is a reference to the Beit HaMikdash. So they come to the next place. This is Am Yisrael speaking. Are you kidding me? This is the way they're talking? What's that? That's the way we refer to it today. Sos Sos literally means joyful, rejoicing. Sos tasis. But there's a pasuk, there's more than one pasuk that talks about mesos tevel, I forgot the exact lashon of the pasuk, in which we're referring to Yerushalayim. Mesos, it's the place of jubilation. So as a result, uh, now again, these are the names of the places. The hachamim are being doresh. What's the significance of telling me the names of these places? By the way, that's bet almin. This is bet olamin. So it's a bit different um, to a certain extent. Um, and the hachamim are suggesting that the people of Am Yisrael are giving these names. And that's why they signify in the Pesukim. And they're negative. 
Kimatu Sostere, then there was a name of a place that's mentioned in the Navi, Sostere, twofold Sos. Amre, at that point, they really descended the lowest. Alhad Teren, for one, this is two. It's doubly good. It's double the value and worth of Eris Israel, which means to say, in stark contrast to, at the very least, what we see from Sanhiriv, either because he's Tipesh or Pikeach, but ultimately speaking, he doesn't speak against Eris Israel. Am Yisrael, during their Galut, even in the initial stages, they're speaking immediately. They're just comfortable. They're being displaced and they're rolling and talking against Eretz Yisrael or talking about how it's just like and then even better. Okay, then the Pesukim describe further, V'tachat Kevodo, uh, this is the Pasuk that's, uh, that's uh, prophesying. It's talking about what's going to happen to the uh, legions, the army of Sanhiriv. If you recall, we began this pasuk just a bit ago, yesterday, at the end of class. Pasuk said, Remember Mishmanav? The eight-namer is going to take down the eight-namer. The Hiskiah is going to take down the Sanhiriv. And then pasuk, Razon kevodo. The last words of the pasuk say, And under his honor, Yekad yekod kikod esh. It will surely flame up. There'll be fire like some sort of bonfire. Now, of course, that's a description of how the army, the troops are going to be burnt, but the specific description of tahat kevodo is what the hachamim pay attention to, the kabod of an individual. Um, what are we referring to? So you could just, uh, in the peshat sense, you're talking about his honor. His honor is his army soldiers, his ability to have strength. The hachamim understand this as describing how his soldiers died. Amar biyohanan tachat kevodo velo kevodo mamashki hadir biyohanan kari le lemane mechabdotai. The Gemara elsewhere, Masechet Shabbat, has how Rabbi Yochanan would describe his mane. Mane means your clothing, his clothing, mechabdotai. He would refer to his clothing as those which honored him. It's in the context of Masechet Shabbat of the Pasuk says in Sefer Yeshaya, It's from there that we derive that on Shabbat, the kabod of Shabbat, one of the kabods of Shabbat is proper clothing, different clothing. You're supposed to have different clothing because that's what is. I mean, we know that from our life. You dress the part because the dress is what shows how you're honoring and shows your self-worth in your eyes. Well, anyway, in this context, says the Gemara, when the Pasuk says, Tahat Kevodo, we're going to be burnt, it's a reference, says Rabbi Yohanan, to the fact that their bodies would be burnt but not their clothing. It's a strange description, but that's his derashah. Their clothing would be fully burnt, but their clothing would stay intact. There's a Perush Rashi in Sefer Yeshaya who suggests that uh, from another Midrash that the reason is that Sanhirid Melech Ashur is a descendant of Yefet, of Shem and Yefet, the two who covered Noah, who in turn, as we now look at how, yes, they're going to die, but they're going to be, their death is going to come about in a way which somehow pays tribute to what they did back with Noah. Instead of being like the Ham who exposes and is not embarrassed and is very excited about the nakedness of his father, well, here's the descendants who are going to be killed 
in such a way. Alternatively, the other opinion in the Gemara, Rabbi Azar Amar Tahat Kevodo Mamash Kisrefat Bene Aharon Malhalan Serefat Neshama Veguf Kayam. Afkan Serefat Neshama Veguf Kayam. Alternatively, Tahat Kevodo, the Kabod of a person, certainly beyond our body is our clothing. But the very simple nature of our kabod is our body. And as a result, to describe tahat kevodo being burnt, it's a description of the innards, of the soul being burnt, as opposed to the individual as well, uh, as opposed to the body as well. No, but in context over here, Bnei Aharon, the Derasha by Bnei Aharon, we heard had this earlier in the Masechet, is that their body stayed intact and their neshama was that which was taken. As a result, the Derasha here is that for these the soldiers of Sanhedrin as well, their neshama was burnt, but their body stayed intact. What's the real difference between the two? They're both saying the same thing. Well, one is talking about their bodies being burnt, and the other their clothing. Two ways of reading it. It's an interesting question. I had a big. I had a different question. Why do they merit the Bene Aharon circumstance? In other words, I understand the Bene. I, I have a thought on it, but it's not fully developed. Bene Aharon, we understand. I mean, Bikrovay Kadesh, Al Pinekolam Ekabed Bikrovay. Rashi, Hakamim say Nadav and Avihu were Kirovay. They were the closest ones to me. That's why they're dying. So we're not going to. Turn them into ashes. We're going to take their nishama, so to speak, as opposed to their bodies as well. These guys, I mean, what's <laughs> unless we're to envision their role at this time as somehow, and again, you could always say that. And that's why it needs more development, as somehow playing a role of Hakadosh Baruch Hu. In other words, their role in this context is is their players in the scheme of things. But you might say that always. If that's the case, how come ever? It's different. That's what it sounds like. Um, the question, therefore, is why a better treatment? Again, Jesse's question is uh, what's the difference between these two opinions? Ultimately speaking, something was left intact. I understand the second one as being a lot more of, a, of an honor. In other words, if the body is intact still after death, even though I'm killing you, there's something honorable about that as opposed to, well, the body's fully gone, but your clothing is there. Well, the clothing's there because we want to pay homage to what you did earlier. But I'm just wondering, why is any of this the case? So if you told me it's because of the act, you know, I understand. But the second one, uh, well, why they like B'nai Aharon? Right? Unless we're in some way envisioning them as the Gemara had earlier, they are the Gogumagog generation, so to speak. But does that mean they're more honorable? Unless there's some sort of pawn, and in turn, the Hachamim envision it as they're not going to be as terribly treated. Keep in mind, we're looking at Sanhiriv and we're pinpointing things and circumstances where he did something honorable. Not too great, but honorable. Does it reference anything with uh, where the bodies didn't decompose? Isn't that, I don't know the, the context of what, how they died. Or what That's they died. Haruge Betar, that the bodies didn't decompose. I mean, it's, it, it's along the same lines. It's that after a death, the natural course of events is the, that the body decomposes or, or that the body is lost at death. And the, and the understanding being the body was separate from the neshama in that context. As opposed to a person, you say his body's intact. Somehow he was, you know, almost uh, homogenous. He was, uh, he was a person who was cohesive throughout his life. I don't know if it's exactly the same thing over here. Because over here we're saying the neshama is taken, but the body... Not fully certain. I don't know. The Gemara again 
in subtle, subtle hints of slight praise for Sanhedrin. None of it is actual praise, but all of it is saying he wasn't as bad as, he could have done worse. If we take a look at Paro, excuse me, over here it's going to actually be against him. Over here it goes in the opposite direction. It says the Gemara. Paro, and we'll talk about it in a second, where we see so. Paro, who uh, blasphemes, he goes against God and curses him directly. He doesn't need a middle person to do so. HaKadosh Baruch Hu takes him down personally. Says Rashi, citing from the Gemara in Masechet Bava Kama, it's, even though it's not honorable to be taken down by a person, but if you're punished directly from the king, the king calls you into his court, the parent calls you into their room and says you're grounded instead of sending their messenger to do so, there's something that's a little, they spoke directly to me. They saw me as a man-to-man, a person-to-person situation. There's something to be said for that. So if Paro, you were willing to do it directly to me, you didn't even do it through a middle, middle person means you're not even worth my time. So Paro directly, he's punished directly. Sanhirif, you can't even blaspheme directly. You have to curse me, you have to go against me through a messenger. We're going to talk about who that was in a moment. So you're going to be punished as well through a messenger. All right, where do we find each of these? Says the Gemara Paro, Dichtiv be mi Hashem bekolo. There it is. HaKadosh Baruch Hu is directly blasphemed by Paro. Paro says, who's this God whom I should listen to as he speaks to Moshe and Aaron? Nifra HaKadosh Baruch Hu mimenu be'atzmo. HaKadosh Baruch Hu punishes him. Uh, directly and without a middle person and an uh, intermediary. So the Pesukim, as the Hachamim are being Doreshtem, in Habakuk, God, you led and directed the horses in the Yam. And the understanding here appears to be in this Gemara that Paro died at the Yam. And as a result, if the Pasuk is describing HaKadosh Baruch Hu as leading that sus, or those susim at the Yam, it means he's directly killing Paro. That's what we say The only thing that's not clear is the Midrat, the Pesukim, never say that Paro dies at sus Paro Parashab. And never says the Midrash, as a matter of fact, suggests that Paro watches it and he lives on to talk about the praise. This Gemara does seem to be suggesting yeah. that Paro died there. Alternatively, it's his people are directly from HaKadosh Baruch Hu, if you want to align it with that Midrash, which is often cited. Okay, says the Gemara onward, Sanhiriv, Dichtiv, Sanhiriv, who the Pasuk says that he, uh, how, how did he go about? Biyad Malachecha Hirafta Hashem, so Nifra HaKadosh Baruch Hu Mimeno Aydeh Shaliyah, Dichtiv, so Pasuk says, by means of messengers, your messengers, and in turn, HaKadosh Baruch Hu sends a Malach, in other words, instead of he being Dorech Desus, um, directing it himself, he sends a messenger, a, a, an angel, to take down his people. It means that, uh, again, in, in dealing with Bad and badder, bad and worse with regards to Paro and Sanhiriv, 
But the Gemara is nonetheless stating, I mean, there's a certain Musar in this. I mean, it's not about being bad. It's not about being evil. But it's about when you're going to, when you have to have a confrontation with a person, make certain that it's direct. I really think that's what's implicit here in the Gemara. I have to say something bad about the person, say it directly to them. Why send it through a messenger? I don't want you to say bad about them ever, but you have to say it. That's not what the Gemara is. So you never need to say it bad about HaKadosh Baruch But to do it directly is certainly more honorable and more honest with regards to who you are and what you're saying. Says the Gemara onward, Rabbi Hanina bar Papa Rameh. He asked a contradiction in Pesukim. Ketiv, on the one hand, the Pasuk describes what Sanhiriv's plan was to destroy. It was Marom Kiso. Uchtiv, Malon Kiso. So the Pasuk either, not either, first describes, he describes what he wants to take down. He wants to take down the Marom Kiso, the Kiso. And then it's malon. Those are two separate descriptions. In the eyes of Rashi, the word marom is a description of beta mikdash. He cites a pasuk to um, to to, uh, to to help him with that. Says Rashi, uh, four lines from the top. He quotes a pasuk, or three lines from the top from Yirmiyah. Marom merishon mekom mikdashenu. So that's pasuk which is describing the Beit Hamikdash. In turn, says Rashi, that first pasuk is a description of Sanhedrin's vision and will of destroying the Beit Hamikdash. And then afterwards, the pasuk talks about Malon Kison. Malon sounds like Milashon Lina, where you dwell, where you sleep, so to speak. Which hotel. what Malon today is a hotel, yeah. but over here, whose hotel? I'm referring to Hakadosh Baruch Hu's hotel. His hotel would be in the heavens. As a result, which one is it? Sanhedrin. What are you looking to destroy? The Mikdash in this world? or quote-unquote uh, Mikdash of the heavens, Amar Oto Rasha suggests the Hakamim, says, says uh, Rabbi Hanina Bar Papa, in resolving this seeming contradiction, Oto Rasha Batechila, Amar Oto, excuse me, Amar Oto Rasha, this uh, Oto Rasha reference to Samhirin, Batechila Aharib Dirashil Mata, Initially, I'll go after the dwelling place of the lower realm, meaning the Beit HaMikdash. Once I handle that one, I'll take care of the upper realm, Dira. Uh, I'll actually confront their god, so to speak. Of course, unfathomable. How does a person imagine that they're going to be able to do so? But not unprecedented, certainly in the eyes of the Hachamim. That's what Migdal Bavil people were interested in. And over the course of... I don't know, sometime, that's the way people envisioned gods. They thought there's a god, with, we would say with a lowercase g, whom I could confront and I could handle. It's a crazy thought, it's a ridiculous uh, suggestion, but that in the eyes of the Hachamim is a self-centered king like Sanhiriv, his vision and his will. Amar Yoshua ben Levi, maidikhtiv. What does it mean when the Pasuk says, here in Sefer Yesha'aya, the Pasuk says, Hata, and now, So the Pasuk describes, So the, the Pasuk says that Sanhirib, in describing what he's going to do, he says, I heard from God, that I should get into that place, meaning the Mikdash, and I should destroy it. So the Hachamim, where and how did he hear God saying that? God spoke to Sanhiri, told him to destroy the Mikdash. Mayhi, 
what is it? Where was it? I mean, uh, when did God say that the Mikdash should be the, the Shama' Lenavi, the, the uh, helper of, of Sanhedrin, Rav Shakeh, whom in the eyes of the Hachamim was a Yisrael Mumar, we saw that on Daf Samech, who in turn speaks our language, uh, he heard the Navi, he heard Yeshaya, say the Hachamim saying, the Ka'amar Ya'an ki ma'asa amazeh et mehashiloah ha'holechim le'atum soset resin uben remaliyahu. So he overhears, and we're going to be Doresh this Pasuk in a second, the Navi Yeshaya speaking about how, since the people have forsaken me, since they have the wrong vision, the improper perspective, since Am Yisrael have gone against me, therefore we're going to appoint, they, and they want different kings, therefore we're going to take them down and we're going to destroy them. And as a result, say the Hachamim, that's what Rav Shakeh, that's what Sanhedrin are referring to. They overheard, quote-unquote, God's words and will to send them to destroy. I'm not Rav Yosef, but now Rav Yosef says, that pasuk, very hard to understand. It's a reference to Meha Shiloach, uh, the, the river of Shiloh, the waters of Shiloh. It's, uh, it, it talks about it going le'at, slowly. Mesos and Resin and Ben Remaliau are two individuals. Resin is a non-Jewish king. Ben Remaliau is Pekah, is a, is a Jewish king. Uh, what's this pasuk referring to at all? Says Rav Yosef, Amar Rav Yosef, Ilmale, if not for Targuma de Haikera, if we didn't have the Targum of this pasuk, I wouldn't be able to piece together all the disparate details and references. The pasuk is talking about one thing and then water and then two kings. I mean, what's going on over here? Says Rav Yosef, we need Targum for this. The Gemara in Masech Megillah points out that whereas in uh, our Hamishah Humshe Torah, the Targum is written by, traditionally we say and we know, from Unkelus HaGer. When it comes to Navi, it's by Yonatan ben Uziel. So as a result, there's a reference to the Targum in Navi from Yonatan ben Uziel. Says the Gemara, says Rav Yosef, what does the Targum say? Halaf, in place of Dekatz Amahaddin. Since this nation is not interested, they're disgusted, they had enough with Malchut Bet David, who was the king during this time period, we said a few times, Hizkiah, they're not interested in the kingship of Hizkiah. He rules them and he governs them with pleasantry, with Menuha, Naich, with Nahat, and he has, what's that? Miha, he's good, like Meshiloach, like the water of the Shiloach River. It's not rushing and flowing violently. Ah, can you imagine you had a king like that? But they claimed, and we'll see in the Gemara an example of such in the eyes of the rabbis in a moment, they claimed not strong enough, not the guy we want. They, draw, they deal with the benayich, with a certain pleasantry. And they were interested instead in the king Resin and Baremalya, Resin from outside the nation. Baremalya, reference to Pekah, who they wanted to appoint as king over them from within Am Yisrael. It's for that reason that I'm now interested in taking them down, says HaKadosh Baruch Hu. In other words, their vision and their will, we know people like this, it's a tendency of people, we don't want rulers and people who are, who are, who are leading us 
to lead, sometimes we see it as a weakness when they do it with a pleasantry. The smile sometimes we envision as an inability to be strong in that moment. We want the person who in your face has that strength, and that's what they were seeking, say the rabbis. But they have Am Yisrael. We're really only dealing with Shevet Yehuda. You're correct, because we already had a galut of the of the tension. I think at this point already. I think when they, when they say it's down below that that uh, there was Pekach ben Remaliyah was the leader of the kingdom kingdom of Israel. Yeah, and he was still a king at the time. But I don't. I, all right, we have to and check the Pesukim. I think like they want Hiskiah to be like king. Him also means it's immediately beforehand. All right, so we're, so, we're going back right. and forth in, in history over here. Uh, point taken. Says the Gemara, Amar Biohana, now that we're talking about, well, these two types of kings, the Hiskiah king and the Pekah ben Remaliah, as you mentioned a second ago, Jesse. Amar Biohana, what does it mean when the Pasuk says, Me'erat Adonai Bevet Rasha? The curse of God will be in the house of the wicked one, but the abode, whatever, the home of the righteous ones, God will bless. Okay, it's easy enough. I kind of understand what that means. Of course, we're going to make a derashat. Pasuk and Mishleh. God blesses the righteous. God curses the wicked. But says the Gemara, I'll tell you, I'll flesh it out for you by means of understanding the different ways of Hizkiyah, and Pekah, again, the king that they wanted, explains the Gemara. Here we go. Me'erat Hashem bevet rasha. What are we referring to when we say that the curse of God is on the household of the wicked one? Zepekah ben Remaliahu. Why? Tell me about his wickedness. Of course, we're not going to describe his wicked ways per se. We're going to describe his general <coughs> approach. What's his general approach? Shehaya ochel arba'im se'ah gozalot bekinuach se'uda. He would have 40 fledglings, 40 chicks for dessert, which means to say his dessert was 40 times the size of our lunch. That's just his dessert. You look at this guy, say, that's, a, that's what Am Yisrael are interested in. That's a guy who's got muscles, who's got strength. He's huge. Look how much he eats. What's that? And that's just his dessert. However, in contrast, the abode, the household, the home of the righteous ones, that, of course, is going to be a reference to Hizkiah. Tell me about Hizkiah. And the Gemara will, in a few lines, talk about the Torah that Hizkiah brings forth. The Avodat Hashem, the, uh, the, the strict adherence to Torah and mitzvot. Instead, over here in this contrast, and again, it's very telling because the Hakamim are here describing the different temperaments, different characters of Pekah and Hizkiah beyond their Shmirat Torah and mitzvot. What was their personality? Why were the people attracted to Pekah? Because Hizkiyah, Hizkiyah Melchiyuda, Shaya Ochel Litra Yerek Beseoda. You want to know what his meal was? A uh, small salad. It wasn't even the salad from, uh, I don't know, the, the place that gives you a huge salad. It was from the place that gives you the smallest salad. He, was, he, was, he, was, he would suffice with the appropriate amount of food. He wasn't having all the meat and the chicken for dessert wasn't even having it for lunch. He had what he needed. They looked at him. They said, weakling. They looked at Pekach and they said, that's the strength we want. Okay, says the Gemara onward. That's, the, the, that's what I'm saying. There's a particular irony which is striking over here. Instead yeah. of describing how one's actually a Rasha and one's actually a Sadiq, and we will talk about the Sitkut of Hizkiyah, we're describing their character. The character, you look at them and you say, not per se, that's why he's a Sadiq or that's why he's a Rasha. 
but you want to know what that character was? One was abrasive and vehement and in your face with the strength and the eating, and the other one was, and it followed suit, I think, the hachamim, two things. Number one, one was more attractive than the other, and secondly, generally speaking, not always, the one who's the little bit more self-sufficient with regards to I don't need to expose it to others, oftentimes has more content. They don't need to compensate by showing off to others or overeating and building themselves up in that fashion. That's Why the difference between... Does Rashi say to spread it that way? Which part? I'm saying that all it says is that he's eating on a large amount. Like as the Sancino is just saying that he's unsatiable, they're treating it as a negative. Right. And they're saying the other one is uh, very sufficient. He's satisfied easily. That's right. No, because the Gemara right beforehand in the, in the Targum that we cited from Rav Yosef says that what Am Yisrael saw was, they saw that Hizkiah was Kemeshi Loach. He did it Benahat, and the people were not happy with it. So my understanding then of the next lines, with description of who Hizkiah was, that's his Nahat temperament. That's why I'm suggesting that. I'm so interesting. Danny says that, and, and answering you, Jesse, Danny says that uh, maybe alternate, alternative interpretation, maybe the sim- more simple interpretation of this Gemara is, well, he's insatiable, which means to say he's overeating. We're looking at it, it's less about his ca- character, it's more about... That's inappropriate, what he's doing, as opposed to one who's self-sufficient. All right, says the Gemara onward, of the Pasuk that describes what's to come. So the Pasuk describes how God is now going to bring forth the destruction. It's an Hariv. He's coming, uchtiv, and then the pasuk says, "Vehalaf bihuda shataf veavarat savariagia." And so the pasuk then describes how they're going to submerge Eretz Israel up to the savar, up to the neck. All right. So says the Gemara that as a result of Am Yisrael, this is the next pesukim going after the wrong vision, going after the Pekah, going after the wrong kings, instead of appreciating, understanding the approach of Hizkiah, it's for that reason that they're going to be overcome and overwhelmed by Sarheriv. Says the Gemara, Elamaita ama i'anish navi a'aseret shivatim itnebi ihu yahiv da'ate al kol Yerushalayim ba navi Says the Gemara, if this were the case, if the, if the Navi is uh, saying, if Yeshaya is saying that he's going to come and overwhelm Eretz Yisrael, Sanchediv is playing his role. Why is he ultimately speaking with his people destroyed? Answers the Gemara, Navi Yeshayahu was Aaseret Hashivatim Itnabi. His prophecy was over ten of the Shivatim. Ihu, he, meaning Samheriv, Yahiv Date, Al Kula Yerushalayim. He has in mind to take down everything, to take down Yerushalayim. That's outside of the Aseret Hashivatim, which means to say very much in line with the personality of Samheriv, it appears. Although, quote-unquote, he overheard the nivuah, although, quote-unquote, he says, I'm just doing the will of God, he's nonetheless punished, says the Gemara. Why so? His claim was a true claim. We're defending his claim. We're saying he had access to the nivuah of Yeshaya, so why is he punished? 
He was over gluttonous, much like the Pekah, who Am Yisrael were interested in. Sanherif's direction was, oh, that's what you want me to have? You want me just to have the ten shivatim? That's not where I'm going to, I'm not going to suffice with that. I want Makom Amitash, I want Yerushalayim, I want Yehuda as well. And it's for that reason, suggests the Hachamim, specifically for that reason, that ultimately speaking, he is taken down, he loses, he's punished. Baruch Adonai, the Olam, Amen, Amen.